that's great. Um, one other thing, uh, before we before we go into the message, I just want to let people know, especially those who are time conscious, we've made a decision to move our ending time of the service from 11 to 11.15, okay? That was an executive decision, um, but there... <laughs> I didn't ask anybody, um, but if that's a problem, come talk to me afterwards, all right, guys? Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yes, so anyways, if you, uh, you know, that's, and, and you know what, having that time lets us tell stories, L lets us, uh, encourages us even more, so. Well, hey, I'm going to get into a real light topic today called Anticipating the Apocalypse, um, but before we do that, let's, uh, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much, God, for, for this morning, and uh, for all the, the, the great stories, Lord, that, that you're writing, and thank you for Derek's life, Lord, as we turn your attention to, uh, as we turn our attention to your word, I pray that you would speak to us, and uh, speak, speak your words of truth, God, um, and what you intend uh, for us to know, in Jesus' name, amen. Yes, we're talking about the apocalypse today. The reason why we're doing that is because that's where we are in the Bible, <laughs> Mark 13, I didn't want to, you know, I was really tempted, actually, to just bypass this one, like, oh, yeah, we'll just go to Mark 14, but nope, we're doing it, guys. We're going there today, Mark 13, and so my opening question is this, have you ever thought the world was ending? <laughs> yes, you're like, right now, I, I do. Um, usually happens around election season, we think the world's ending, but I don't know why that is, but uh, but yes, uh, the first time I thought the world was ending, and I think I've shared this before, was not COVID, but it was actually 20 years earlier with this thing that came out when I was 15 years old called Y2K. Anybody remember Y2K? Yes, Y2K, man. 20 years ago, if you weren't familiar, computers were sort of new back then. And they, people thought that when, apparently when, when computers were incorporated into society they only had a two-digit code for a year so the thought was when it switches from 99 to 00 the whole world would collapse i don't know how that would happen i'm not but my dad worked in tech and he he thought it was a joke he thought oh this is all about making money and you know what dad was right it he was um but no i we had we had friends who really bought into y2k and they told us, like, okay, you need to supply, to get us a year supply, a year ahead. Um, so they bought 365 rolls of toilet paper, <laughs> one for each day. They bought cans of beans and all this stuff. And uh, the world was going crazy. There was a guy in Idaho who started collecting Pez dispensers because he thought when the economy collapsed, he could trade his Pez dispensers uh, for food. That was his strategy. Um, so all this going on, and I remember visiting a church at that time where a preacher preached adamantly from the front that Jesus was coming back in the year 2000 because it was, it, it was a year of jubilee and it was 2,000 years after Christ came back. And I remember thinking as a 15-year-old, like, I don't want the world to end. Like, I just got here, you know? <laughs> like, come on, let me live a little bit, you know? That was my thought as a 15-year-old. But there are times when we see what's going on in the world and we think, could this be the end? 
you know, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's the Ukraine war, new nuclear threat, we, we face these things. And, and, and the truth is, is most generations, if not all generations, had similar moments where they thought the world was ending. Even if you go back to World War II, right? World War II, the Holocaust, like people thought the world was ending. World War I, slavery in the Civil War. Like every generation has had moments where they thought this is it, this is the end. And today might not feel that much different when you watch the news and see what's going on in the world because every generation experiences the darkness and hopelessness of the earth, right? And experiences the darkness and hopelessness that's found in the world. No matter how prosperous people might become, something always inevitably goes wrong. And in scripture, there's always been cycles. If you read the book of Judges in particular, you see that there's cycles of prosperity and obedience, and then sin, and then chaos and despair, and then crying out to God for help and rescue. And it's this cycle, if you read the Old Testament, it happens again and again and again. And post-Jesus, it doesn't feel like much has changed. You know, it's cyclical. It happens often. And uh, so when you look around at the world, you know, do you look around at the terrible things happening and, and pray, come Lord Jesus, like save our world? Or when you hear about the end times, are you more indifferent? Like, oh, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, there was a pastor I knew who used to say he was a pan-millennialist, which meant it'll all pan out in the end, right? <laughs> and that's like really bad pastor humor, but I, li I like that approach, you know? It's gonna, Jesus is in charge, you know? It's going to be okay. Um, but maybe you're not sure what you believe about the, uh, about the end of the world. Maybe you think, may may maybe, maybe you're watching for it, which... Um, you know, or it, or it freaks you out and makes your mind spin. I don't know where you're at, but the good news today is that we're going to look at Mark 13 and what Jesus said about the end of the world. Jesus gave us a gift. He taught on the end of the world. He talks about the apocalypse, and most importantly, he tells us what our attitude should be towards the end of the world. One misconception we might have about God is that he tries to keep us in the dark on certain things. And that's not true. In Mark, in Mark 13, 23, he says, I have told you everything beforehand. I have told you everything beforehand. Does that mean we know everything, all the details, all the ins and outs? No, but do we know what we need to know in Scripture? Yes, we do. We all know what we need to know in Scripture. And it's enough to follow Christ and, and build our lives on. And so in the Bible, there is apocalyptic literature scattered throughout. It's in the Old Testament, New Testament, prophetic, apocalyptic. Um, it's, it's a topic. Uh, Peter talked about it. Paul talked about it. John obviously talked about it at the end of Revelation. We're going to open up next year in the book of Daniel, and Daniel talks about it. So it's scattered all throughout Scripture. It is a topic. Some of us might be tempted to, to like, not focus on that because of all the, the predictions and, and, and speculation, but it's a topic. It's something that, that is uh, important for us to know. 
And who better to read out of all the Bible, what a better place to start than, than the words of Jesus, right? Than the words of Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, but there's something special when Jesus speaks. There's something special when Jesus speaks. It's like the, the center of it all. And so this is Jesus talking about the end of the world. Um, Mark 13, it's called the Olivet Discourse. What that means is Jesus is sitting down uh, on the Mount of Olives teaching his disciples. Specifically, he's teaching Peter, James, John, and Andrew. When a rabbi sat down, that indicated he was ready to teach. So it was sort of a formal teaching time. And I wish we had time to cover the entire chapter, but we, we don't. We don't have enough time to do the whole thing. We're going to focus on the end, but just to walk you through um, what Jesus is talking about, the first thing we need to realize is that the first half, most of this chapter, is about an event that would occur in 70 A.D. When Jesus, it opens talking about the temple, and Jesus says, not one stone will be left on another, it will be completely demolished. He's foreshadowing to a time in 70 AD when, when Rome would come and siege Jerusalem. They'd siege Jerusalem for five months, and then they'd break through and they'd just smashed everything. Killed 350,000 people. Some people escaped, some didn't. But the first half of this chapter is about that event. Um, and you should know, after that event, 70, at 70 AD, many Christians escaped and they moved to spread the gospel in other towns. But when Jesus opens this, um, th this conversation, he's talking about the temple, he's talking about this fearsome event that would, he's looking at the temple as he's talking. Consider this week all of the battles he's had with the religious leaders. Right? And so he's talking about pretty soon, sooner than you think, all this will be gone. All the stuff that these guys hold dear will be gone. It will be, it will be smashed. But it's not just about that. Jesus warns against us being afraid when we hear about wars and rumors of wars. Some of this is not just for th these, this generation looking forward to 70 AD. Some of it is for Christians in the age of the church. We, we, yes, we've heard about wars and rumors of wars, right? Jesus talks about beware of false prophets, false Christs, people that will come along and deceive many. Jesus warns about these people. Anyone who comes along and say, hey, here's a, here's a new way. Here's a, a new Christ. Here's a, a new thing. And again, this happens starting in Acts and continues on to today. We could walk through history, right, and look at times where there were deviations from the truth. Jesus is not a universalist, right? So in, in um, 7th century Arabia, a guy named Muhammad went into caves and, and said he heard from the Lord and came out with a different truth. Or in... 19th century USA a guy named Joseph Smith said he received words from God on golden plates and now in, in the, uh, the LDS church it says another testament of Jesus Christ right and we could go example after example after example 
of deviations from the truth. And Jesus is saying this whole time, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. And I'll tell you, like, we can't be passive in our pursuit of Jesus. Because Jesus is saying passive Christianity, you're more prone to be deceived. If you're not diving into scripture, if you're not engaging with Jesus, you're more prone to be deceived. Your faith is more vulnerable. And even today, it doesn't have to necessarily be another religion. We might replace uh, our, our political party's platform with the truth of God, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. So Jesus warns against being deceived, saying, focused on the truth of Christ. And Jesus then talks about this really scary-sounding phrase, the abomination of desolation. <laughs> We're just skimming through this stuff like this and just boom, 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 um, which sounds very serious. But really what he's talking about is the day when the temple will be empty, when the temple will be desolate, when it will be smashed. That part is a clear 78. But we're going to move on today to this last portion of Jesus's prophecy, um, the last portion where he talks about the future, where he talks about his return, because Jesus is coming back. We live with the imminent return of Christ, and he describes the day of his return and all that it will mean for us. So we're going to read this portion of Mark 13. This is Mark 13, 24 through 36. And it says this, But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he, then he will send, uh, send out the angel and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Clearly talking about a future event. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. That's a lot to take in. But this is what we're not going not gonna to do with this. What this doesn't give us is a timeline of which everything will happen, right? So we're not going to focus on a timeline. We're not going to answer some of the, the, the typical end-time questions about uh, what about the tribulation? Is Jesus coming back before that, during that, after that? When's the millennial reign of Christ? Who's the Antichrist, Mark of the Beast? We're not going there today, okay? So if you're like, I want to know, I want to know, Maybe we can get coffee sometime and talk through that. But we're not, we're not going to go there today. 
because that wasn't Jesus's point in sharing this information with us. Um, Jesus describes a day when he will return, and that return is imminent. That return could happen at any time, and, he, and it's d described with power and awe of what will happen, but Jesus is the focus. When you open the book of Revelation, the first words in the book of Revelation are, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus. And what Jesus is telling, what Jesus is doing, he's preparing his disciples how to live in light of his return. That's his focus, how to live in light of his return. His ultimate concern for us at the end of it all is not what we know, but what's the condition of our heart. What is the condition of our heart? And are we doing the things that he's called us to do? Because one day this world will shake and tremble and Jesus will come back victorious. As a victorious king, it could happen at any moment. At any time this world could pass away and Jesus could return. Uh, Johnny Cash has a song about it. It's great. If you, like, uh, if you want Johnny Cash to uh, help you, like, figure out what the end times is going to look like. But he says, there's this line in there where he says, the father hen will call his chickens home. You know, it's like, it's that time where we go and meet with Jesus. Jesus says, they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. So when Jesus comes back, there's this sense of finality, a sense of awe and finality. Those who are in Christ will remain in Christ. Those who aren't in Christ will remain forever outside of Christ. There, there is a day when Jesus is coming back uh, that, that brings finality to it all. It will be a glorious day, but a fearful day. And it's clear that it hasn't happened yet. It's clear that it hasn't happened yet. Every generation has been waiting for this day. And I know one of the confusing verses in this passage is when Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And at first reading, you might be like, well, is he talking about, is he talking about these, you know, his disciples and all of this? That word generation can also be translated race or family. So as I see it, Jesus is saying the church will not pass away. My new family will not pass away until all these things take place. That, that's how I read this. You may have others who say, well, he's talking about 70 AD and that only. I think he's talking about the church. The church, every generation. The, the, the church will not pass away until these things have taken place. And, and based on the description of this event, um, don't worry about missing it. You'll know. <laughs> You'll know when the sky goes dark and Jesus comes back, right? You won't miss it. It's not hidden. There will be nothing more obvious than when Christ returns. And the hope in that word family, that this family will not pass away, it makes so much sense because it's Jesus' promise that the church won't pass away until I come back. Nothing can kill the church. Nothing. We might look at church decline in the U.S. and think, oh man, the church is dying. It's not. Because the Holy Spirit is alive. And you know who is the CEO of the church? Jesus. He's a pretty good CEO. He's a pretty good CEO. So no matter 
And, and if you read 13, you get this impression that no matter how much persecution we face, no, much, no, no matter how bad the world gets, the church will live to the end. The church will survive because Jesus is the CEO. And if you look back over 2,000 years of church history, you've seen that the church has been in dire straits before, and God has constantly brought revival. The end of the Roman Empire, and then, and then God sends Celtic missionaries to go and restore Europe. It, it happens again and again and again. Jesus is king and won't be defeated, no matter how bad things get. And so there's hope in that. Hope when you're weary. Hope when you're doubting, like, oh man, like, should I still believe in the church? Church is going to go through a lot, but it's going to survive because Jesus is the king of the church. And so the, Jesus points his teaching, as he describes what will happen, he points his teaching to the practical by telling his disciples a parable about how they should live in light of, in light of this, this coming end of, of the world. And there's another statement in here, too, that might give you pause. It seems a little wild, but Jesus says that only the Father knows not even the sun. And I'm always like, oh, man, that's, you know, that kind of makes my head explode. I, <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes the Bible does that, though, right? Because God is smarter than me. Um, but that nobody knows except the Father. And, and I think, you know, Jesus, um, Jesus was fully God and fully man. And this might be an example of submission even to the Father uh, in, this, in this moment. Part of Jesus emptying himself, as it talks about in Philippians 2. But the bottom line in the life Jesus modeled for us is that it wasn't important for him to know. What was more important was how he was going to live in light of it. And he modeled a life for us. It was important for him and for us to, this phrase is, keep awake. And that's what I want to focus on today. Because in light, in light of this coming end of the world, the message to us, his disciples, is keep awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. The word means sleepless, meaning always being on alert, always on watch, always on guard. He wants us to be aware of the temporary nature of this world and the pull that this world has. This world has a lot of pull, and it can suck us into a place where we are only thinking in terms of, of the physical and the cultural and what's right in front of me, and lose our spiritual perspective, right? Lose our spiritual perspective. Might just turn this off real quick. Okay, there we go. But he's saying, be sleepless, always be on alert. Always be walking in the Spirit. Always be seeking Him. And he gives this story, he talks about himself as the master of a house, that he's going to leave for a while, and he's going to leave his servants in charge. They don't know when he's coming back. Um, there wasn't any texting or live tweeting in those days, so there were no. Uh, maybe that humor just isn't, isn't, isn't up to par today. It's okay. Serious subject. i got to work on my humor and where to place it, so <laughs> sorry. But he's going to show up one day, and so what are they supposed to do before he shows up? They're supposed to manage his house. Manage the house until he returns 
and do the work of the master. Keep doing the things that the master does, right? Not be caught sleeping. Now, the image I got in my mind as I read this passage was, was goofing off at work when your boss is gone. Any, anybody ever do that? Goof off at work, your boss is gone. Got my first taste of this when I was uh, 18 and working for Pop, Pop Murphy's Pizza. Uh, my best friend got me a job there. And, and when you're 18, it really is a mistake to work with your best friend. It's really a mistake. The worst was when we, the nights we'd close together. Usually a close was supposed to take about 20 minutes or like an hour. Because we're not just closing. We're practicing skate moves on the mop bucket, you know. We're calling into radio stations. We were not doing what we were supposed to be doing. And as my kids can tell you, because I've told them this cautionary tale, Papa Murphy's is the only job I've ever been fired from. <laughs> Didn't last very long. So, uh, yeah, you know. I live and learn, right? The good news is I found way better job. There's, there were better jobs out there. I mean, consider this, guys. Back then, I was making six seventy-five an hour, you know? So, and that's after a 25-cent raise. So, so anyways... I think about that in light of, light of the end of the world, right? God's given us this house to maintain, right? This world to care for, this mission to accomplish. He's trusting us. He's entrusted us as his disciples, as his servant. There's a reason why the church is called the body of Christ. We're his collective representative to the world for his mission while he goes away. And so... The call of Jesus to his church that's waiting is to stay awake. So th these are some points. So don't goof off. Don't waste time. And live intentionally for the master, the Lord of the house, Jesus. It's so easy to goof off. So easy for this world to pull us in on all the, you know, all the silly things we could be involved in. Right? Keep awake. Keep awake. Don't waste time. We only have so much time. We only have so many opportunities to share God's love with people. Let's make the most of it. He's calling us to action. He's calling us to action. We don't have to know everything. I was thinking about this. A good boss doesn't need his employees to know everything. He just needs them to know what they need to know really, really well. And that's Jesus. He, he needs us to know what we need to know really, really well. So we need to pursue him. Keep pursuing him. And each generation of faith have, has served the house and passed that on to the next generation. And here we are. We're the next ones with the responsibility to care for the house. To care for the house. One of the amazing things about the Bible and about being a Christian is knowing where, you're, where you, your place in God's story knowing how you fit. The Bible is a complete story. It has a beginning, uh, it has an ending, and it has the progressive work of God throughout. It tells us that we aren't just a meaningless blip in a pointless universe. We aren't random beings just trying to survive, find whatever joy we can out of life. No, this is, this is who we are. This is who we are. This is what the Bible tells us we are. We are the family of God in the age of the church 
for the mission of God until Christ returns and makes everything new. This is who we are. This is our place in the story. We are the body of Christ for, for this time to tell others and show others the love of God until Christ returns and makes everything new. That is the hope that's found in, in, uh, in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, that one day God will make everything new. So in the meantime, Jesus says, stay awake, be on guard. Don't live passively. Don't be passive about your faith. Revelation talked about that too. It talked be about being lukewarm. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be passive. Don't be passive. Stay awake. I was thinking about this. What does it look like? What does it look like to stay awake? Recently, I've become much more aware of times when I'm operating in the Spirit of God and times when I'm operating in my own flesh, my own strength. There are times where I pray in the morning and I feel God at work throughout the day or I'll go to prayer group at 6 a.m. Thursdays, guys. You can ask me. We'll, it'd be great to see you there. But we'll pray and, and, and I'll feel like I hear from God. I'll have others confirm what I, what I just heard. You know, and so I know that, but times when I'm just operating in my own strength, look, those mornings look a little different. Uh, I'm a little less kind to my kids, right? I'm a little more focused and, and overwhelmed by what I have to do. I'm not thinking about this bigger story that Jesus has invited us to be a part of. So if we want to be people that operate in the Spirit of God, we already know what to do. We need, to, we need to read God's word. We need to pray alone and together. And uh, <clears throat> we need to be around the family of God. I mean, it's, it's not that complicated. It's just, do we want that? Do we want that? And we can start with prayer. I mean, that's the one action that Jesus focus on, focuses on more than anything. The one action that Jesus connects more to staying awake than anything is prayer. We can look at the similar passage that Jesus spoke in Luke. He said, oh wait, let's see. In Luke he says, but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But again, he says, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Men. So you see the action that, that Jesus connects to staying awake is prayer. Just commit yourself to prayer. Every day, just in the beginning of the day, just say, Lord, what do you have for me today? How can I serve you? What do I need to confess? Who do I need to call? What do you want me to do? And that's the starting point. That's what Jesus invites us into I know when we read passages like this, it can seem confusing, it can seem heavy, but the good news is that Jesus is coming back to make all things new. And we know who we are, we, we know who to follow, and we know what our mission is. And so my encouragement to you is to pray, is to pray and, and, and live into this calling that Jesus has given you. We're going to take communion as we, as we close today. And really what I want, to want, want you to focus on as you take communion is, you know, the picture of communion is Jesus pouring out his life for you. 
pouring out his life for you, taking up the cross for you. Are you in on that? Are you ready to take up your cross for the sake of, of spreading the good news of Jesus to the world? For the sake of loving your neighbor to Christ? For the sake of, of praying towards um, his return? Let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll come up for communion. Lord, I thank you for this group of people. And Lord, that here at this time in Blaine, Washington, you've brought your church together. Lord, to be the people of God. To, you've called us the family of God. Lord, so that we might be Jesus to the world and point others to you. So Lord, as we, as we take communion, which represents your body and, and blood, we, we just reflect on that and ask, am I in? Am I gonna am I gonna take care of the house while God is away, while the master is away? Am I gonna be about the things that Jesus wants me to be about? And am I gonna choose to connect with him, to lay down my life, to take up my cross, and follow Jesus wherever he sends me, to whoever he sends me to. Jesus, we look forward to the day. We don't look in fear, but we look forward to the day when you come and make everything new. Lord, it will be a fearful day, Lord, but it will be a day when we will see you face to face, when we will stand before you with everyone who's gone before us and will worship you. So Lord, help us live for that day. Help us not lose perspective of that day. Help us not get sucked in uh, on all the, 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 the stuff the world wants us to focus on, all the small things. Lord, help us to focus on this big, huge story that you're writing, that you invite us to be a part of. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, I'm going to invite you as you feel led. The worship team's just going to pl play for a little bit. I invite you to just, just come and take the, the juice and the cup and just spend some time with Jesus, reflect on him. And then we're going to take communion together just here in a minute.